0: It's Rick Jones, and it's time to get back up on the boat from the bridge. Today's theme is all about legends. And my guest angler, who also is a really great fisherman, is the legendary Bill Battle. You're all in for a treat today listening to Bill talk about his amazing career. We'll get back up on the old soapbox and return to the road on the road with Rick. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Willie Nelson wrote and sang one of my favorite songs called My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. It's from both the movie and the soundtrack from The Electric Horseman, which starred Robert Redford, Jane Fonda, and Willie himself. Well, my heroes have always been coaches. I simply love coaches. I've been blessed with a memorable career working on multiple projects, but my all-time favorite project was creating the Final Four Coaches Club. When I first went to the National Association of Basketball Coaches, I asked my boss, Jim Haney, I said, what have we done For the coaches that coached in the Final Four. If you're a college basketball fan, you know all about the road to the Final Four. Candidly, it's what every coach hopes to attain in his career. It's important to get to the Final Four. Well, it turned out we hadn't done anything for them. Well, I was a big fan of, I'm a big fan of the Masters. And one of the great traditions at the Masters is the past champions dinner. And for those of you listening out there that don't know anything about the Masters or golf, what they do is they take the winner from the past year's Masters, and on Tuesday night they bring in every living uh, champion into the clubhouse, and they serve a dinner that is hosted by the previous year's winner. And he actually picks the menu. I thought that was such a cool job. Remember what they do at the Masters, too, is – When you win the Masters, sure, you win a big check. And sure, you get the prestige of being a Masters champion forever. But what you covet the most is the green jacket. You get the green jacket. So I wanted to emulate that same kind of a deal. And so we created the Final Four Coaches Club. It's a lunch held on Saturday before the semifinals. It's a private lunch. It's only open to a coach that is coached in the final four and one guest. That could be his spouse or his grandson or whoever he wants to bring. The first year we did it was in 2006, and it was hosted by Roy Williams from North Carolina, who had won the previous year. And Roy got to pick the menu, and he loves Charleston. He spends a lot of time down here at, uh, um, at Isle of Palms playing golf. And so he picked what we call Frogmore stew, or what he called a low country boil. But we also had a side of steak for those that didn't like seafood. ESPNU was our sponsor in that first year, and we gave every coach in attendance their jacket. It was a blue blazer that had basketball lining, orange lining on the inside, had their name and the years that they were in the Final Four. Each jacket contained buttons, and the buttons were little basketballs. And here's the only difference. If you got to the Final Four, your buttons were silver. But if you won the championship, your buttons were gold. And I remember years later, Billy Donovan got his and because he didn't win and got a silver one, and when he won the championship, he sent us the jacket back and said, put my gold buttons on it, uh, which we really, really liked. Um, Very, very special first event. Um, We had a tremendous number of great coaches that were there. Um, Ben Carnival was the oldest. A lot of you may not have heard of Ben Carnival. If you're a South Carolina fan, you may remember Corky Carnival, his son, who's one of Bobby Crimmins' best friends, was Bobby's teammate under Coach McGuire at South Carolina. Ben Carnival was a legendary coach and athletic director, a longtime athletic director at the Navy uh, Naval Academy. People didn't know this. In 1947, he took North Carolina to the Final Four. And so he came. Corky brought him that year. Ben was in a wheelchair. And he died not long after that. And they buried him in his Final Four coaches club jacket, which is a pretty special thing. I remember when we gave out the jackets, we gave them in the order of the years. You know, we went back to the oldest so Ben Carnival got the first one, because from 1947, and we went on through. Coach Wooden was there. Dean Smith was there. We had just so many legends that were there. And I remember when we gave John, Big John Thompson, his very large jacket, followed by Raleigh Massimino with his very small jacket. Well, you may remember that Raleigh had beaten um, John in 85 in that great upset uh, at Rupp Arena in uh, – Lexington, Kentucky. Well, John got his, and as Raleigh got up to get his, John growled at him. It was one of the great moments. It was a very special time. Later on, uh, our friend Chris Velarde, who you heard from a few weeks ago, and Warner created the 75th anniversary ladder. We gathered all the guys that had coached in the Final Four, that had climbed the ladder, that had actually won the championship, and we posed them in front of a very special commemorative um, ladder. We've lost a number of those great Final Four coaches since that first event some friends and legends like Gene Bartow and Dean Smith, John Wooden, Guy Lewis. And this year, we've lost two Giants, both the great John Thompson and the great Lute Olson. Uh, that was really the, a highlight of my career, was creating the, the Final Four Coaches Club. Later on, I had a chance to work uh, with some partners, with uh, Shao Zislin and, and Vince Thompson, who's been on our show a couple times, on uh, a program for Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. We took BP oil spill money. And we bought a sponsorship of the Southeastern Conference. And as part of that, we created an event down in Gulf Shores called the SEC Beach Fest. And part of the joy of doing that project was working with a bunch of ex-great football coaches like Vince Dooley and Frank Broyles and Pat Dye and Philip Fulmer, Jerry Stovall, Billy Brewer, uh, Bill Curry, uh, just just a wonderful time. We did a series of commercials using those old coaches. One of my favorites was uh, um, Coach Die did a did a talk where we must protect this house. Auburn is a um, is an Under Armour school, and you thought he was talking about Auburn, and then we panned away and realized he was talking to the little boy who was building the sand castle on the beach we must protect this house and then the little boy turned to coach die and said coach died do we need to worry about the tide and he said son we don't ever worry about the tide it's one of my favorite commercials ever we also did a a wonderful commercial with a bunch of the coaches sitting around talking about gulf seafood and uh they all wore their their colors of their schools so Coach Dye is in Auburn blue and Coach Fulmer's in Tennessee orange and Coach Stovall's in LSU yellow and, and so forth. And, and so we rehearsed, you know, about Gulf seafood. So we come to Coach Dye and he says, I think I'll have the blue crabs. And then we come to Coach uh, uh, Stovall. He says, I'll have the yellowfin tuna. And uh, Coach Fulmer said, I'll have the orange ruffie." And then Frank Royals, who was the longtime coach in AD at Arkansas, his line was, I think I'll have the red snapper. Yes, Coach Coach is from Decatur, Georgia. I can do him pretty well. I had the red snapper. Um, So we rehearsed it over and over. And now it's time to go live. Roll, Coach Die. I think I'll have the blue crabs. I think I'll have the elephant tuna. I think I'll have the orange roughy. We come to Coach Royles and he goes, I think I'll have the fried catfish. I said, Coach. Coach no, said, Rick. I just wanted the fried catfish. I said, Coach, we'll get you the fried catfish. Just read your lines. We lost Coach Brawls a few years ago. Just was one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Great guy. And we lost Coach Die this summer. Uh, another wonderful, wonderful coach. I love coaches, especially the old ones. Yes, my heroes have always been coaches. Speaking of a legend, my guest today is Bill Battle, the former football coach and athletic director, and the founder and CEO of the Collegiate Licensing Company. Let's welcome my dear friend, Bill Battle, to the bridge. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for being with us today from the bridge.
1: Oh, great to be with you, Rick. It's a long time no see, and uh, I get feels good to catch up with you.
0: Well, 2020 has been a year that we've talked to a lot of people by phone or Zoom, but we haven't been able to be with folks. So I'm hoping this thing will end and uh, you and I can go do some fishing together. That would be great.
1: Well, i, I got to tell you, my uh, Mike's daughter uh, is having a, a uh, w- wedding in Charleston in March,
0: so, maybe we can set that up that'd be great. I'm hoping we can be together by march and uh but we can we can certainly be together on a boat catching some uh some speckled trout. I think that bill, let's start with the beginning you know you you were raised around sport, your dad was an a d raised in Birmingham, sports was a big part of your life uh did you always know you wanted to work in sport?
1: No, I never knew what I wanted to do uh I was raised around sports, my dad was a Birmingham Southern, and I spent a lot of time over there swimming and playing ping pong and doing all the things that uh, you can do in a small college. And when I got to be a little older, uh, the fraternities would help, would put me in sometimes in the softball games when they got out of hand or they didn't have enough players. And, and uh, so it was, uh, you know, I grew up around sports and I always loved them. And knew that I wanted to be around them, and and uh, you know I was uh, uh, wanted to play all year round. So that was before you started spending uh, all your time on one sport, and so I enjoyed playing
0: all sports. What made you go to Alabama,
1: Coach Bryant? Uh, at the end of the day, Auburn was the king of the hill in 1957. Uh, Auburn was ten and zero. They were on probation because they had bought a player in Gunnersville, but they went 10-0 and 0 and won the National Mythical Championship even though they couldn't go to a bowl. Uh, Alabama, they beat Alabama 40 to nothing, and nobody scored 40 points back in those days. Uh, and uh, so they they fired uh, Coach Whitworth and hired Coach Bryant. And so Coach Bryant came in 58, and I was a senior uh, in high school in 59. Uh, Bud Moore, who was a teammate of mine at West End High School, uh, went to Alabama under Coach Whitworth, and, and he experienced that first spring uh, at uh, Alabama, which was it wasn't as bad as they made out to be at Texas A&M, but but it was tough, and they ran a lot of the riff-raff off, I guess. And, uh, uh, so so I kept up with him about what was going on, but uh, again, Auburn was, uh, was, was the the winning team. And uh, the first year coach Bryant 58 uh, coach Bryant went five, four and one from two, seven, two, seven and one the year before. And uh, the worst he got beat was the opening game against LSU who had Paul Dietzel and Billy Cannon and w- went on to win the national championship. And they were, in the game till the fourth quarter, but they got beat, uh, 10 to three, I think, or 13 to 13 to 10 to three. It was So anyway, uh, in 59, my senior, uh, year we signed, uh, we were the first full class to sign with coach Bryant, And, uh, so we got there a little after the, the hard times. And I think he took care of us a little bit cause we were his guys and, And we knew, you know, we had enough time to know what he was doing and how he was doing it, and and bought into it. And uh, so anyway, that was that was the uh, the big difference. I thought if you could play four years for Coach Bryant, you'd really be something, and and that proved to be true.
0: Now in your era, freshmen were not eligible, so you know there were great freshman teams all over. The South. Um Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Just talk a little bit so, about that. So
1: hey, Rick, here's an interesting stat from that. So uh, Al- Alabama got beat 40 to nothing in 57. Uh, they got beat by less than a touchdown in 58. And I came in, our class came in 59. So in 59, 60, 61, and 62, four years, how many points do you think Auburn scored on Alabama during those four years.
0: Guy, after scoring all those points, would they score thirty points? None. None. Zero. Wow. <laughs> they they wow. didn't score.
1: But back then, you know, it was a different game, and you played both ways. It was limited substitution. If you came out twice in the court, you couldn't go back in. But but we won uh, ten to nothing, three to nothing, and then the last two years we won in the
0: to nothing. Well, obviously coach Bryant was a big influence on you. Now you're a senior. Is this when you started thinking about coaching?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I was a senior, uh, even when I was a junior, we won the national championship in 1961, my junior year. And we should have won it in 62. We lost it. We just got to be number one and lost to Georgia tech over in Atlanta. Uh, seven to six and we're in field goal range at the end of the game at the end of the game. And, uh, he, he caught and Namath got hurt and Jack Herbert was in the game and, and we called a pass and actually they threw it to me. It was, I was a tight end on that formation. And they threw it to the wing to uh, the wing back was curling and I was running the flat route and the, the, uh, the, Jack threw it high, and I barely tipped it, and it landed right in the cornerback's hands, and we lost the game uh, that the field goal would have won. And uh, but anyway, uh, we it was. Uh, uh, it, I, I knew, and and going back to West End High School, I, I was really fortunate that I got scholarship offers from Georgia Tech was the first one that offered me. Bob Coach died. And Auburn, of course, Auburn and Alabama offered me, and Florida uh, and Tennessee had offered to have me up for visits. And I decided I was going to stay in state and didn't do that. And then, uh, you know, it got down to, to, uh, to playing for Coach Bryant. But uh, my high school team, West End High School, won six games in four years. And, uh, you know, success is defined – However, you define it, uh, and it's different as you go from age to age. And when you think you get there, you never get there. You got e- either you either get better or you get worse from there. So, success at West End High School my senior year. Our I never will forget our our uh, uh, high school newspaper at the end of the season said West End in successful grid season four four one. We we'd won four games out of the six that we we'd lost. We'd gone with uh, only one two the previous three years. So four was really good in that
0: year. And then you go to Alabama and have great great success, obviously. Um, so now you want to coach? What'd you do when you got out? Well, I, I looked around and
1: I, uh, I, I I wanted to. I could have stayed at Alabama as a graduate assistant, but I. I wanted to go somewhere else and uh, make new relationships and learn a different system. And so I looked around, and Bud Wilkinson at Oklahoma had a great program, and he was also the chairman of President Kennedy's physical fitness program. And so before my senior year, I wrote Coach Wilkinson a letter and asked if I could uh, be a graduate assistant out there. And so I never heard from him, and I, and I forgot about it as the season went on. And and as fate would have it, uh, we ended up playing Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And so we we beat Oklahoma. And back then we had they still had the the, the party for both teams after the game. And and back then everybody would go. Later on, uh, they quit having it because the losing team quit coming. But. Uh, anyway, Coach Wilkinson and his staff and so Coach Bryant took me over. He knew about it. He took me over to uh, to uh, meet Coach Wilkinson, and uh, I thought he had forgotten about it. Maybe he had. Maybe Coach Bryant reminded him. But anyway, I asked him uh, when I met him, and he said, "Yeah, we'd be glad to have you come out as a graduate assistant." So, all right. So when I was at Oklahoma, I heard that they had some of the Oklahoma players in the past had gone to West point to coach football. And I was looking for a place to coach and the uh, the army uh, football teams. I was a ROTC graduate and had two years of active duty ahead of me. I got deferred from active duty for a year to go to graduate school. And uh, so I did that and uh, I didn't know where West point was. I was shocked when I went home that night looked in the encyclopedia and saw it was in New York, but uh, I knew that Paul Dietzel was there. Coach Dietzel had shocked the world and left LSU back in the early 60s after winning the national championship and gone back to uh, West Point where he had coached earlier and thought that he could do what Earl Blake did. And that was a mistake because times changed and the the uh, uh, five-year requirement to, Serve and and the Vietnam War was cranking up, and people didn't want to go in the in the military. But uh, but I got my orders changed, Coach. A couple of weeks later, I guess they checked me out with Coach Bryant and uh, Coach Diesel's right hand man, George Terry, called me and said uh, we could work it out. So I got my orders changed from uh, an artillery unit in Jasper, Alabama, to the Army Athletic Association and. West Point, New York, which is one of the better moves of my life because that was two great years. We worked hard uh, there and long hours as coaches do. And and again, fortunately, I coached, I was the play, the freshman defensive coordinator the first year. And then the varsity receivers coach, uh, Frank Gibson, uh, was a military man and, and a great guy. And uh, he uh, his time was up, and he was he was moved on to another uh, to another um, uh, place of duty, and so that opened up the receivers' job. And I had worked with uh, varsity coaches as much as I could uh, to help them and to help me learn, uh, you know, Army's defense when I was coordinating the plebe defense. And so anyway, uh, Coach Dietzel uh, made me the uh, varsity receivers coach and that was a whole different world and and i believe it was that year or maybe the year before that the rules changed uh from limited substitution to unlimited substitution so uh, the whole game changed and uh so being on a varsity staff during that change was a great education for me so anyway it was uh, it was it was a great experience it was really hard recruiting but but it was a great learning experience and recruiting at probably the hardest place in America to recruit.
0: Well, you had a great staff there. If I remember there was all kinds of people that went on to, to be successful head coaches.
1: Yeah. A lot of them came later as like I did, uh, Bill Parcells and uh, a lot of guys came in on that staff was Jim Valick, who was the guy that went down and he was working for Trump and the New York, uh, whatever they were, that USFL team. In the generals, New
0: Jersey generals, yeah.
1: Yeah, recruited uh, Herschel Walker uh, to leave Georgia and go up there. But Valick and Bill Shalosky was the line coach, and Larry Jones, who I hired later, uh, came, uh, was on that staff, and George Terry was a great defensive coach.
0: Uh, but
1: anyway, Bill Rao was there, and uh, uh, so... And were uh, you
0: able to get your military service done?
1: During that, that oh, yeah.
0: period, yeah,
1: yeah. My two years, was my, that was my military service. So I saved up. Uh, I had no, I, I didn't take any leave. You got, you got 30 days leave a year. So I had 60 days, and I didn't get out of the service. My, my termination date wasn't until the middle of June. So I, I, in hopes of maybe getting a job, I, was, I had those 60 days carved out that I could go down to somebody's spring practice. And then another long story that's too long to tell, I ended up uh, getting hired on Doug Dickey's staff at Tennessee. So I went to, uh, I went down. I, I did go down to, to uh, Tennessee for their spring practice. And then when I came back to West Point, Coast and the whole staff had gone to South Carolina. Uh, so when I left, he was the head coach at Army, and then when I got back, he was the—
0: Head coach uh, of South Carolina. South Carolina. <laughs> that, that's crazy. You know, you talk about the military service. I just recently read a really good book called The Cloudbuster Nine, and it's a book about the Second World War in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that was a base for a lot of the uh, fighter pilots, Ted Williams, Um actually trained there and a bunch of guys. But one of the interesting stories that came out of that book was, uh, they were, they, they decided in world war two that they needed to recruit coaches, um, to train our servicemen. They felt like coaches were going to be the best people to do that. And they, they had a recruiting guy come to the American football coaches association convention and make a plea to coaches to please help us, um, trained serviceman. And the story goes that the guy went back to Washington with really no idea how he was going to do it. And about two days later, a guy knocked on his door and said, uh, I'm here. And he said, well, what do you mean you're here? He said, well, I, I'm, I'm here to, 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 to coach and, uh, and to help these these people. <laughs> and, 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 and the guy wasn't even ready. And, and he said to his wife, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you, you need to, first of all, we need to feed him dinner. And and that was Coach Bryant. Oh, no. Uh, yes, oh, yes.
1: How about that? Coach
0: Bryant had given up a, an assistant's job to come help Uncle Sam. And Coach Bryant ended up living with this guy at his house in Washington until they could assign him someplace. And, and, and then he and a bunch of other great coaches of that era all were basically the training corps. And, and uh, f- you know, for all these servicemen, uh, which I think is pretty fascinating. So I, I want to say one more thing. I know that you told me before when you were at West Point that you would often take the train and go to the city. And, and maybe that's where you kind of fell in love with theater, um, that you, you had a chance to go to the Broadway theater and stuff like that. And obviously you, you had a you had a granddaughter that, that loved the theater, too. So um, was that where you kind of? started loving to yeah. go to the theater. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I was there for two years and our, our, uh, our fellow uh, graduate assistants or whatever you called them, uh, our assistant coaches tried to get me to go for a year and a half. And all I could think about going to a play was what I'd seen at West end high school. I didn't want any part of that. And they finally with six months to go in my service, uh, uh, they dragged me down, and and it wasn't a train we would drive. It was only 60 miles, and we drove down to Palisades Parkway, which is a, a great parkway that uh, the donors that funded that parkway uh, made it a requisite that there be no advertising on it. And I think to this day there's still no advertising. But anyway, we would drive down and and uh, go to Mama Leone's, who uh, was a great Italian restaurant that had— uh, the the proprietors had two sons that were West Point graduates, and so she always they always took care of us, and then we would go to the play. And the first play that I saw was Cactus Flower with Lauren Bacall, and that was amazing. And then the, the, we went back a couple of weeks later, and and I didn't want to go because it was a musical, and I didn't think I'd like a musical, but it was Superman, and it was the most high energy people swinging across the stage on wires and I mean it was incredible and and then uh later on uh yeah so that's where I started my love and then as we would go back every year uh we went to we went to Les Mis and I I wanted comedies and light ending things and and but we could only get tickets to Les Mis and and then I got captured by Les Mis it was uh that was that's still my favorite play. I've seen it ten times, and and that's where I fell in love with the theater.
0: That's really cool. All right, so now you end up on Doug Dickey's staff at Tennessee, and and he up and leaves and goes to Florida. <laughs> yeah, and, and there you are.
1: Yeah, wow. so we're playing. Uh, we had won the conference in sixty seven and sixty nine. And uh, he had turned it around, and Alabama was the king and and, uh, and Doug did a great job uh, in in, uh, uh, in in getting Tennessee back to the top and so we went down to the Gator Bowl uh interestingly enough to play Florida and the rumor swirled that Doug was going to Florida and Florida had a good year they had uh, Carlos Alvarez was a great wide receiver and John Reeves was a great quarterback. And, and they beat us, they beat us 14 to 13. We were in the red zone three or four times and couldn't get it in and just should have won the game so many different ways. Uh, and I didn't believe that he would go before while we were at practice, coach Woodruff came up to me. Our athletic director came up to me on the practice field one day and said, so, I want to have lunch with you? And I said, okay. I've been asked to go to lunch with the athletic director before. I was assistant coach, of coaching and receivers, and so we went to Pontevedra and had lunch. And he said, I think there are three coaches on our staff that are head coaches, and if Doug leaves, I want to know where you're going to be. This was before cell phones, obviously. I want to know where you're going to be. Uh, and uh, so I told him I was going to be at my parents' house in Birmingham, and. Uh, so I didn't believe he would leave because we, you know, he had, he, we had a good thing going at Tennessee. And, uh, so, uh, sure enough, he decided to leave. And, uh, so coach would have called and said, come back to Knoxville. And I went back to Knoxville and, and that was uh, one of the more interesting uh, weeks of my life. But they, uh, I, we went into the meetings and it was, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and me. And, and Coach Woodruff was trying to keep the staff together. And uh, so he said, all right, uh, I think we got a great staff. I think any one of you, the three of you could be head coaches, uh, but we can only name one. And I'm going to leave the room, and I want you all to see if I name one of you, if you could work for the other one. And so he left the room, and, and I said, Uh, I was the most relaxed candidate in the room. I said, well, I'd work for either one. And both of them had come to me and said, if they got it, they wanted me to be the offensive coordinator, which I thought was really cool. And so uh, when he left the room, I said, well, I could work for either one of you. And I know he ain't got enough guts to hire a 28-year-old guy as the head coach here. And so uh, Jimmy Dunn, the offensive coordinator, said, well, yeah, I could do that. And Doug Knott, who was defensive coordinator, said, well, I can't do that. Y'all are both offensive guys and I need a, a defensive guys, one of my top two assistants. And so coach Woodruff came back in and and uh, uh, so we told him and he said, all right, Bill, meet with me at 7.30 and Jimmy at 8.30 and Doug at 9.30. So I went in and met with him and I'm still relaxed and uh, sitting back with my legs crossed and Uh, about halfway through the conversation he said I think you know who I'm going to name and I said yeah I know who you're going to name and he he said "Uh, I don't think you do or you wouldn't answer it like that and I thought holy crap he's talking about me (laughs) (laughs) so uh, anyway uh, three days later he said uh, he called and said get your TV clothes on because we're going he said I need a few days to to get this done, so don't, uh, uh, don't do anything and to discourage anybody from leaving. And Jimmy got, uh, Jimmy played for him. He was a quarterback for, uh, Florida when, uh, Coach Woodruff was the AD at Florida, which I thought he was going to do. And he, and we'd got, we'd all gotten to be close friends because we all lived out in the same neighborhood. And it was just a really, it was small staff and really close staff. And, not very many people like there are today, and so I met Jimmy, and he said, "I'm, I'm, uh, Coach have gotten pressure from somewhere, and I'm, I'm announcing today that I'm gonna go with Doug down to Florida." So it was Doug and I in the running, and uh, uh and then they named me uh, a few days later. And and the uh, Andy Hope was the uh, president, and he was a legendary figure. Uh, tall guy who was the greatest guy in the world and so the interview went something like this he said well we never thought about you uh, as the guy but uh, after reading your reviews and and your history we can see why coach Bob uh, picked you and he said I want to ask you a couple questions I said okay he said you go to church I said yes sir I'm on the beard and board of uh, Methodist board of trustees, directors, and he said, do you drink? And I said, well, I drink socially. And he had had some alcohol problems with the coach in the past uh, that was a real problem. And he said, well, I found that in the alumni meetings and so forth that I go to, I get offered a lot of drinks and ginger ale works pretty good for me. And he said, "Uh, but I know you'll do a great job. And that was the end of
0: the interview with the president. So it was pretty short and sweet. Well, you think about it. I mean, okay. You played for coach Bryant. You worked for bud Wilkinson. You worked for Paul Dietzel. And and then you worked for Doug Dickey. Uh, Yeah. I I would say that's pretty prepared.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I was there for four years and did understand, you know, I knew the players and the players knew me and, and I didn't have any enemies among the players. And, so it, it, uh, it was, it, I, I, and I thought that I was ready and, uh, you know, I didn't, there, there was a lot of things, obviously I didn't know about being a head coach, but, and I found out pretty quick that, uh, the difference in being an assistant coach and a head coach are really different. And, uh, it was a great learning experience. It was uh, a little bit painful at times, but it was, uh. It was a great learning experience and and an overall great experience. I still am close to a lot of the Tennessee people, a lot of the former players. We get together from time to time. and uh, So uh, my experience there was was good. We didn't do very well at the end. Did pretty well at the beginning, uh, but we tapered off and we didn't recruit and develop players as well as we should have and, and tapered off at the end.
0: Well, and the other thing that you ran into was the buzz saw known as Johnny Majors. I mean, Majors had played there, had gone to Pitt, and had success. And I think there was, you know, that kind of drumbeat to bring bring him back. And uh, and um, you know, you got caught up in that. But but then this—well, uh, this, well, this is but, how but, funny but, your life is. I mean, isn't it? Um,
1: well, that's right. But before that, the, and that was a factor. But the the major factor. Was that Alabama, who Coach Bryant had, had fallen off recruiting and developing players back in the late 60s, and he went uh, he went eight and two, and six and five, six and five, and he went. We, we played him. My, our, my first game, uh, we we played them and beat them 24 to nothing. They had 400 and something yards. They were doing the. They had a pro offense. Scott Hunter was quarterback. They they. Uh, ran for they they gained about 400 yards of offense against it but we intercepted eight passes and shut them out 24 to nothing first time they'd been shut out in years and so coach bryant secretly and that was 1970 and in 71 and, and uh we beat them 42 to 14 i think and or beat them bad and and uh and then the you've heard all heard the story about uh Southern Cal coming yeah. in with yeah. Sam Cunningham and beating them forty-two to fourteen, in in, in Legion Field right
0: there in Birmingham. So, yeah.
1: yeah, so they had to they had to open up with Southern Cal the next year in '71, and he secretly went to the wish- Wishbone and he had he had he had recruited well, and Johnny Musso and was a team leader and and they had a really good team at that point, and they shocked the world and beat Southern Cal out there. Well, and so from going 6-5 twice and the, the newspaper saying the King is dead and, and Bryant doesn't understand his players and he's too old and blah, blah, blah. And, and from 71 to 79, Alabama won more games than anybody ever won in history. And he won, he, he won the SEC championship eight out of those nine years and won the national championship three of those years. So playing Alabama every year during that time wasn't great. I always said, Vince Dooley, man, you're the luckiest guy in the world. You're at Georgia. And and you don't have to play play Alabama? That's right. Play them twice every 10 years. That's a great place to be. Yeah.
0: Well, then you come to a big fork in the road. So you're out of coaching. Did you go to work for – Striplin D- stripling stripling and strip wasn't stripling a basketball coach at one time at Belmont.
1: Yeah. Coach? He started, the yeah. he started the Belmont program. Yeah. And, uh, and he, uh, uh, he was my first little league football co- uh, coach. He, he was, uh, he played basketball, at Burnham Southern. And, uh, I went and watched him when I was a kid, uh, play basketball and, uh, uh, and then when I was head coach, he was the head of the uh uh Birmingham touchdown club, and I was speaking there one day, and he owned at that point Nelson Brantley Glass Company in Birmingham. That was a glass company that uh sold auto replacement windshields and they did storefront and other construction kind of stuff. And so he picked me up at the airport, took me through Nell Brand and and uh <coughs> So I spoke at the quarterback club and he says, Do the insurers of Tennessee, and he was a great salesman, he said, Do the insurers of Tennessee sponsor your television show? And I said, Yeah. He said, I want to I want you and I to go in the glass business. And we get the we get the insurers to doing all the auto windshield replacement business, us will make a fortune.
0: I said, Yeah, I don't
1: wanna be a I don't wanna go in the glass business. I just want to coach football, and people leave me alone. And so we we uh, we didn't do that. And then uh, after I had resigned, Coach Bryant called and said, do you know Larry Striplin? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I've been on his board, and I've made a lot of money with the company. He's down in Selma, Alabama, got a window company, and I, I've made a lot of money with him. I think you can too. And and I thought to myself, I ain't going to Selma, Alabama, and work for a window company. And I'd about decided I was going to do something else. Uh, I had turned down a couple of head coaching jobs and just was just decided I was going to try to do something different. And it didn't work. I, I thought I could always get back in coaching somewhere. And uh, but I was committed to trying. And uh, so anyway, I uh, a, a lot, another long story. I ended up going to Selma, Alabama. Uh, and in the six years that I was there from 77 to 83, our company went from two companies doing $12 million to 10 companies doing $60 million. So again, it was a great business educational experience for me, which I had no business background. And that was very helpful to me in my career. And, and in a, in a very strange and long story, I ended up starting, uh, uh, what turned out to be the collegiate licensing company and and started uh, licensing college uh, managing their trademark licensing programs.
0: Well, you had told me a story that Coach Bryant was about to break Stagg's record and ask you to help him and that you'd also, I think you mentioned to me one time that you kind of picked the brains of the guys at Golden Bear, Jack Nicholas's company, about yeah. licensing. Talk, talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, we had, as, as, so our first client was coach Bryant and he was on the board. And one day he came to a board meeting. This was 1981 and he came to a board meeting and we had, we had a board meeting every month. We had one, uh, one month that was the window company, which I had to run the board meeting. And, uh, the next month that was the the glass company, and the next month was the holding company, and the two operating companies paid the board members five hundred dollars, and the uh, holding company paid the board members a thousand dollars. So I picked Coach Bryan up, and it, uh, I had to run the board meeting, but I had to also go pick Coach Bryan up to Holiday Inn. I was shocked that he would come to a board meeting on a Tuesday of uh, uh, of a uh, during the fall, but he did. But anyway, I picked him up, and as we were walking up the stairs, he said, I'm going to change agents. Guys in New York aren't doing anything for me. And he was he was managed at that time by IMG. And I couldn't believe that he did anything other than football. That he, I, I couldn't believe he had a manager. And so that's all I could think about uh, during that board meeting. And I was nervous about those board meetings because we had uh, people that knew a whole lot more about the construction business and our business, and I did, and I had to prepare hard for those board meetings to act like I knew what I was doing. But all I could think about was, and if if Alabama won nine games the next year, uh, he became the all-time winningest coach. So all I could think about was, hey, here's Newt Rockne about to change agents, and uh, we could do for Coach Bryant maybe what Golden Bear did for Jack Nicklaus. So after the board meeting I went down back down to the car with him and I said coach I don't know anything about the agency business but I know about you and we got this little company that has been working in trademark licensing and I believe we can help you and his old low gravelly voice he said ah I ain't got nothing to sell best in the business been selling trying to sell me for years all I want somebody to take my request for speaking engagements and tell them I can't come. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, coach, we can handle that. So we signed an exclusive agency agreement to do everything commercially for coach Bryant, except his radio and TV show. And I asked him about that. And I said, how much are you making? And he said, well, uh, I think I made $25,000. I said, coach, Fran Kersey made fifty thousand dollars on his Monday night radio call-in show and he said well, uh, Golden Flake and Coca-Cola have been with me for years and I ain't asking them for more money and that's the kind of guy he was. He loved to make money but he didn't want to make it off his friends I guess and so anyway we, we uh, so we had learned, I would learned a little bit about licensing because in the, on this, well that was again part of the long story but uh, we had become licensees of Jack Nicholas, Golden Bear, and also Disney and uh and even IMG with Chris Everett Lloyd. And so we learned a lot about licensing from a licensee standpoint. And then we learned when Coach Bryant came on board, we learned a lot about licensing from a licensor's standpoint. So I had a little background in understanding licensing, which nobody not many people understood back in those days. That, and so we, uh, Coach Bryant led to Alabama, which led to uh, Ole Miss. And then Bill McClellan was at uh, Clemson, and he got it. And he got me before the ACC, uh, all the ADs. And and then in 82, as you remember, Danny Ford won the national championship. And so Bill McClellan called me and he said, man, we got Tiger Ball Cup. Paul's coming out of our ears. Can you help us? When can you come? And I said, man, we'll leave today. And so we went over and we got Clemson and then we got seven of the eight uh, uh, ACC schools. And so that was that was how we got started. And we did all that in Selma. And then later we moved to
0: Atlanta. Well, I think people don't realize people that are listening don't realize that that all these years people were just uh, taking school marks and doing what they wanted to with them, and the schools were not <laughs> receiving any royalties. They weren't they weren't creating the revenue off of their marks, and y'all were able to do that. I want to I want to tell everybody a story that I heard, and you can corro- collaborate it, um, corroborate it. Corroborate it. Uh, somebody told me that Coach Bryant, when he filmed his TV show, he filmed it at the Golden Flake uh, headquarters there in Birmingham, and in the conference room. And you know, he'd he'd eat Golden Flake potato chips and drink Coke. You know, <laughs> when he when he when he did the thing, and you know, he'd mumble, and you know, there'd be like three touchdowns, and he'd you know talk about Wilbur Jackson's mama or you know Johnny Musso's mama or whatever. And but he he smoked those unfiltered Chesterfields, and and one day this lady called in and said, I, I can't get my potato chips to smoke like they do on the Coach Bryant show. I've put them in the microwave. i put them in the oven. And, and, it, and it was because he had that ashtray behind, behind the thing. And I just thought that was the greatest story ever. It just Of course, people don't – I mean, people don't – I mean, I tell people this and they think I'm lying. At, at His television show was the number one-ranked show in the state of Alabama – over NFL games, I mean, he was he was a great
1: communicator, and he through that television show he he could recruit, he could raise money, he could smooth families, he could do a lot of different things. That he was, uh, I don't know if he knew what he was doing or not, but he was doing it, and he was doing it right. Let me tell you one one other uh, Coach Bryant TV show story. So uh, we my sophomore year and he hadn't, he had never beaten Tennessee at this point in time. He went, uh, and it made me feel a little better to, when I did my book, I researched and, and he was seven years at Kentucky and had Babe Pirelli four years and they didn't score on Tennessee. And, and coach Bryant went six years against general Nayland and never beat him. And he tied him once. And, and then his seventh year, against Harvey Robinson, he beat Tennessee. And then he went to Texas A&M and they either, I think they tied Tennessee in the Gator Bowl before he came to Alabama. But so my sophomore year, we go up to Knoxville to play. And he got, he was nervous during uh, Tennessee week. And so we go up there and we get behind 14 to nothing in the first five minutes. And, And we lose 21 to seven. And the next week is the worst week of my life. But the, So we didn't have a, we were in the dorm and we got, that was four cell phones. We got one phone in the dorm and no TVs. So we would all go to different places, sorority houses or friends' houses, which nobody had friends back in those days. So, uh, but we, to see the TV show, to see how he was. So he's sitting up there with those Cokes and Golden Flakes. And I think Charlie Thornton or Roy Farrell, I forget who the, uh who the moderator was. Charlie. He said, well, yeah. <laughs> he said, well it was a tough day in in uh, Knoxville coach, but but we still got those uh good Golden Flake and and uh, uh uh Coca-Cola's and he reached out and shoved them back aside and he said, I don't know about that Charlie, but I'll tell you one thing. our our, our players been sitting in that conference room wearing that sweet smelling after shave lotion and looking at their watches ready to get over on sorority row. And this week we're going to run off the riffraff and golly Bob, You talk about some players getting their rear ends tightened up that week. That was, that may have been the worst week of my life because I was a sophomore defense playing both ways, but they ran the single wing and ran it really well back then. And they had a, uh, uh all-conference all-american blocking back uh that bore my ass out that day and, uh, so i went way down to drop uh, dropped down about four teams on the depth chart and uh uh I, I i got back up in the next few weeks but it was uh it was a pretty tough experience and that tv show Indelibly imprinted in my
0: mind. <laughs> yeah, he, he he let everybody know what was coming, and then he he he, he proved that it was going to come, and uh, that kind of thing. Well, Bill, you built a great company at CLC, and and I mean, a, and an amazing company. And then you ended up, you know, selling the company, and then and then kind of like Coach Bryant, you know, <laughs> when he said uh, Mama called when 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 Moore got got ill, you had a chance to go back to Alabama.
1: I did, and I didn't want to go. I never wanted to be an athletic director, and I tried to think of somebody that would be better and uh they said we we're we hadn't interviewed anybody but you and and I, and so I agreed to go over there and I still wasn't didn't know if I was going to do it and uh I, I uh uh went over there and met with uh uh, Dr. Witt, who was now the chancellor and, and Judy Bonner was the new brand new president. And, but she wasn't in on the, the, the meetings that I had with, uh, Paul Jr. And, and the, uh, and, and Fest St. John, who was the, uh, faculty or who was the, uh, trustee in charge of athletics and, and Dr. Witt and, uh, and I wanted to meet with Coach Saban, and I did, and and he was great. And uh, so anyway, I, I went to a, uh, they had a president's cabinet meeting, and and I was on the cabinet. And the the uh, what it took to get on the cabinet was pay three thousand dollars here. It wasn't something that you you really earned, but I, I guess you had to be invited. But uh, but anyway, so I went and. And we started about one o'clock and ended about five o'clock and we were in meetings all day and they were good meetings, but they were presentations of faculty and students and Dr. Bonner. And, and my heart was palpitating because, man, I didn't like meetings. And I thought, man, if I, if I take this job, this is what every day of my life is going to be. And I decided I wasn't going to do it. And so I, uh, uh, anyway, uh, uh, I met a, one of the trustees who said uh, some really impactful things that changed my mind. I don't think she knew I she needed to change my mind, but uh, I, I decided after that that uh, if I don't do this, I'll regret it the rest of my life. And I would have. And I'm really glad that I did it. It was a great experience, and uh, I enjoyed it. It was four years, and— and, uh, you know, Mel did a great job, and I inherited a great program. It wasn't a broken program by any stretch, and there, as always, there are some things you can improve, and I think we made some improvements in a lot of areas that uh, that needed it, but uh, the structure and the, the framework was there, and the coaches, for the most part, was there, although I hired five coaches in my short time there is four years, but it was a it was a great experience and we've, uh, I, I, after the first one, after the first year I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and, uh, and, uh, but I never missed a day of work and, uh, went through some radiation and went through some chemo and lost some weight. And, uh, but, uh, again, athletic director is not nearly as high profile as a, as a coach. And so, it was the best kept secret. There, there are no secrets. Dr. Witt said that the athletic department of the University of Alabama is the leakiest place I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I believed it after I was trying to hire basketball coaches because everybody knew what I was doing. And even when we signed Coach Sabin after the Texas thing, uh, before we got the press release out, Kirk Herb Street was announcing the term. So. Uh, I thought something I thought my office was bugged. It may have been,
0: I don't know. But anyway, Well, well let me, let, I, we, we got, we got to close up here. You, you, you obviously you fight off cancer, but then you, you were one of the folks that got COVID. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that. Uh, I, I, well, want, I want people to understand about this disease.
1: Yeah. And, and before that I got, uh, I had uh, three stents put in one artery and then I had a, decompressive laminectomy for stenosis in my back so i'm a medical miracle i guess but but then uh, we quarantined really well for all spring and then we went to a family gathering out in colorado for a week and we intended to wear masks and social distance but in a social family gathering you break down and and uh and get careless, and evidently we did because we, Mary and I both got COVID. Uh, Her case was a lot different than mine. Hers was more traditional, I guess, with immediate uh, uh, high fever, uh, coughing, uh, pounding, migraine, headaches, and for a week I was asymptomatic. I thought I was going to get through it and uh, and then be uh, uh, immune. Uh, But after a week, I started going downhill because it went to my lungs. And I ended up, Mary taking me to uh, UAB, uh, to uh, the hospital. And I was there for two weeks and intensive care for a week. And, And the intensive care unit there was amazing. And they had all the resources to do what you needed to do. And they got me back out of hospital instead of going the other way into a ventilator and and I had lost about 15 pounds and was weak as a kitten when I got home but getting home I could walk a little more every day and so I'm seven or eight weeks out now and probably about 60 percent back uh, to normal still uh, have some breathing issues but I'm walking now up to 30 minutes at a time and seventy five hundred steps a day and and doing doing very well and and still fighting uh to get over it. Mary got over hers, but it took her it took her probably twelve weeks or so to to uh, get over hers and she still has some headaches that she attributes it to, but yeah, it's a tough disease, and particularly if you're my age, uh, I was in that hospital thinking I may not get out of here man, I got a lot of things undone that I got to do because Mary will get overwhelmed with if I die in here. And, and of course, she couldn't come up there. She's a nurse and she's been with me in all my illnesses and guided me through the, the health care system, which in this country is pretty, you need an advocate uh, and you need to do early testing. That was one of the great things that happened to me. I accidentally got diagnosed with multiple myeloma and a In a routine chest, a routine uh, 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 half day exercise that uh, was going through all kinds of tests. And then a routine chest x ray, they saw a tumor in my vertebra. And if I hadn't done that, it might have been three or four years. And because I had no pain, I still have never had any pain with it uh, because the treatment was early and aggressive. So early treatment. And aggressive treatment, and the right healthcare, and the power of prayer, all work in the in the fight
0: against any disease. Well, listen, I only got about a third of my way through my questions for you today. I want to have you back at some point. I definitely want to talk about the book. Um, uh, you've had a great life. You've been such a great mentor to me. Such a great friend to so many people. And I'm just glad you're doing better. I'm glad Mary's doing better. I want everybody out there to understand you got to socially distance. this disease is not going away right now, and you don't want to get it. So hopefully everybody will learn some of those lessons as we head towards the the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays that you got to be smart, um, especially young people, you got to be smart around older people to make sure that they don't get it. So, Bill, I I really, really thank you for being with us today. Again, we'll have you back soon, and I appreciate you being with us from the bridge.
1: Great to be with you, Rick, and good luck to you, and thanks for all you do for all the many sports that you help uh, in college
0: athletics. All right. Thank you, pal. We'll talk soon. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Let's get back up on the old soapbox. Here's a quote from another legend, Satchel Paige. He said, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. I've never been a big rear view mirror kind of guy. I like looking over the next hill. When I was a kid, my favorite TV character was Flint McCullough a scout on the old television program Wagon Train. I love the way he rode over the hill to uncharted destinations at the end of each episode, usually after kissing some pretty girl goodbye. The past is simply that, the past. You can't get any of it back. One of the reasons I like sports so much is because they are full of next chances. There's no time to worry about a missed putt, a grounder that turns into a double play, a bad pass out of bounds, or a dropped punt. It's on to the next play. Where are you going next? When are you leaving? Why aren't you going there now? And remember, don't look back. Let's head out on the road with Rick to a truly legendary restaurant, Doe's Eat Place in Greenville, Mississippi. Doe's was started in 1941 by Dominic Doe Cigna and his wife, Mamie. Doe's father had actually opened a grocery store at that same location where the restaurant is today in 1903. Before starting Doe's Eat Place, Big Doe spent some time as both a bootlegger and running a honky-tonk. His wife, Mamie, perfected a recipe for Mississippi hot tamales and opened the restaurant in 1941. If you travel throughout the state of Mississippi, you need to eat Mississippi-style hot tamales, and nobody really knows where they came from. They believe they came with Mexican migrant workers back in the 1920s. Uh, Doe's Eat Place is now run by both second and third generations of the Doe families. Um... And they, like I said, they still run the place today. One of the things I really love about this place is they have a limited menu. I love restaurants that only do a few things really well. You got two choices and only two choices of starters. You can get the tamales or you can get a bowl of chili. They also have amazing Italian salad that's got everything in it as a second. And then you only have two choices. You can get fried or broiled shrimp or you can get a steak. The shrimp's phenomenal. The steaks are probably even better. You enter the restaurant through the kitchen. You come through the kitchen, which was the original door of the honky tonk. There's a lot of history in that house and some amazing food. This has to be on your bucket list. It's the original dose Eat place in Greenville, Mississippi on the road with Rick. Thanks for being part of a wonderful show today with a true legend, Bill Battle. We'll see you again soon from the bridge.